Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Hello, my name is Christian. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, my life changed a little bit today. I uh, dropped my uh, daughter off. My, my wife and I went, and went down the parkway to Stockton University and dropped her off for the first time. And um, I'm, res- I'm resisting the temptation to text her, like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> I just know that won't go over well. But it's a, it's a little bit of a change, you know, I mean, it's not, the, it's not the biggest thing, it's not the most profound thing, but it's a milestone in someone's life, you know, it's a milestone in my life. Um, I have a question for you, have you ever met someone that just, their life did a 180, just a complete change? Um, I don't know if you can think of anyone, um, I don't know if that's your story, um, but there's certain people you can kind of think of that did a real 180 in their lives. One of the people that I think of that did a 180 in their lives, um, and this is looking back, this is reaching back, but you kind of need the story of someone's life to um, look back over and see the change. But uh, a famous person who did uh, a 180 in their lives is, is uh, Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson um, was an attorney and a political advisor for the Richard Nixon administration. And he got caught up in the whole Watergate scandal. In fact, he was known as Nixon's hatchet man. And he eventually ended up in jail for seven months in uh, Maxwell Prison in Alabama because he was attempting to um, interfere in uh, the investigation. And he really had to wrestle with that. And he was wrestling with his pride in the midst of it and his participation in these types of activities. And he eventually did become a Christian in 1973. Um, and he, this wasn't necessarily just a, a jailhouse conversion. He actually, a friend had shared the gospel message with him prior to that. Um, and he was wrestling with pride so much that he couldn't admit it in the person's house. He went to the person's house and this person shared the gospel, but went out in his car and just sat there weeping, recognizing the brokenness of his soul and who he was and how he needed to change um, and the offer that was made possible through Jesus Christ. And his life was transformed. He did go to prison and he became an advocate for prison reform. He started prison fellowship, uh, first nationally and then internationally. Did an amazing number of things. Some people participate in something called Angel Tree. Uh, it's this idea that there's um, people incarcerated and they can't get their kids gifts. And so they this ministry collects their names. And, um, and shares those amongst other people, and um, they'll buy gifts and deliver it in the name of the person that's incarcerated. It's a nice ministry. Um, I've been at churches that have participated in that. But he started that. He started Breakpoint Ministry um, and became an advocate of just thinking in a, a Christian uh, Christian way about the things of this world and everyday life. And he had just a profound impact 
impact on so many lives. To this day, his ministry is still heard on 1,400 radio stations, and it's available on the internet, um, not just recordings of him, but other people. This ministry carries on. This hatchet man changed his life when he encountered Christ and um, did so many other things. I'm not even hitting them all. But it's a story of someone doing a 180. I think the challenge for us, and a second question is, can our lives do a similar 180? It may not be something where we would be on the radio or a podcast on the internet all over the place, but can our lives do a 180? Can we change? And today, we're looking at someone whose life did a complete 180 and transformed. We are, I, I think as near as I know, we're wrapping up our sermon series, Just Like Us, Ordinary People Changing the World. And we've been working on this all throughout the summer. We've been looking at the 12 disciples, these apostles, these sent ones. And we know, some of them we know a lot about, some we know just a little bit. We know their names. Sometimes they have multiple names depending on which gospel you're looking at. Peter, um, who's the brother of Andrew that I talked about last week, um, um, Peter is one of the people that we know the most about. And you can actually see the arc of his life. And so while others, we might only know their name and that they were there, we can actually see how Peter's life did a 180 and how he was really transformed by his encounter with Christ and became more like Christ in every way and transformed uh, in, in every way. To, um, let me see. The... Um, just some background about Peter so that we um, know a little about him before we look at his transformed life. He is one of those most prominent figures in the Gospels and the book of Acts and even Paul, one of the apostles, not one of the, Paul was not one of the original 12, but he wrote a significant part of the New Testament. He often refers to Peter. And Peter, um, Simon Peter, we heard about him in that earlier passage. He, Jesus gave him this name, Rocky. Um, uh, P Peter, he transforms him in his name and in his character. But he has this tendency to just say what's on his mind. And sometimes that's uh, what everyone else is kind of thinking in the room. He's just the one to go ahead and just blurt it out. And sometimes, I don't know how he did it, but he was constantly had his foot in his mouth. Um, uh, again and again and again. And he had, you know, you, you knew what was on his, at least his mind, if it wasn't on everyone else's mind. He kept putting it out there. And it's hard to press all of this in, but we can see his life. There's so many. I encourage you to read about him in the Gospels and the first half of the book of uh, Acts you can see a lot about the arc of his life. And I just want to hit a few of them and see how he was transformed, how he was changed, how he did that 180. And doing that 180, living a transformed life, is what we're called to be as Christians. It's one of the main things about it, that we would become more like Jesus. And in all the dimensions of who we are, that we would become more like him. That we would have a transformed mind. That we would believe and think what Jesus believed and thought. It's easy to believe in Jesus, but to believe Jesus believed, that's next level. 
and it can be a challenge. Um, and as we get to know Jesus more and more, as we read about him, as we pray with him, we get to know him and know what he thought and what he cared about. And we start to um, become more like him in our minds. There's other areas, other aspects that we are called to be more like Jesus in, his, in the, our character. Um, we're called to live the way that Jesus lived. And um, we see this as Jesus encounters other people and how he cares for them and what he's all about. And it can be uh, challenging. He spoke to people from all different walks of life, from the most educated. We could, today we might use the word the elite or the religious establishment from the everyday person um, that's on the margins of society. Um, he um, interacted with people across the spectrum. And as we are be becoming more and more like Jesus in our character, it's re it reveals that itself in how we interact with others. There's our relationships, our personal relationships, and loving uh, how Jesus loved. Jesus loved in some significant ways. He had some friendships. He had friendships outside of the twelve. He had some amazing relationships with the people in the, um, amongst the twelve, but there was other relationships. For example, um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. There were other relationships. And um, as we become more like Jesus, our, our relationships are transformed. There's also our habits. And we can see what Jesus did as a matter of habit. What things did he do? What things did he practice? He practiced a variety of different things. Silence, solitude, fasting, frugality, prayer, secrecy, submission, humility, obedience, sacrifice, study, fellowship, confession, worship, and more. And we can see this in Jesus. And as we conform, as we become more and more like Jesus, these things can become ours as well. And they have a transformative effect in us. There's also our service and how um, we see that Jesus ministered in a variety of different ways and cared for people, cared for people, their basic needs, their health, cared for um, needing a meal. Last week we talked about how Jesus fed the 5,000. He met basic needs. He met emotional needs. He encountered um, a, a widow who, um, who lost her son, the widow of Nain, and he ministered to her in her mourning and uh, spoke into that situation in an amazing and powerful way. Just as Jesus ministered, we're called to minister to those around us. And then there's also using influence. Uh, Jesus used his influence in a variety of different ways. And we can use our influence as well. And we can see how Peter, uh, using this checklist, how he used these various different things. He leaned into them. And he lived a transformed life. This person who was a part of Jesus' inner circle and became eventually considered the, a pillar of the church, um, he... Uh, needed to change. He didn't just instantly become a pillar of the church. He's literally referred to that in one of the epistles that he and um, James and um, John are considered pillars of the church. You don't just start that way. 
And that earlier passage, we saw one of the early encounters, perhaps not the first encounter, but one of the early encounters um, before Peter was completely following Jesus. Um, Jesus just showed up and got in the boat. Like, you just got to love Jesus. He just kind of just comes in and like, this, this is what we're doing. We're going to get in this boat and we're going to go out. And I'm going to speak to the people from the boat, which it, it, he knew what was going on. Your voice carries over the water. It's amazing how noise can carry over the water. And he knew that and he made use of that. And um, he did that. And then the, the situation set up so that there was this miraculous catch of fish. And Peter... Um, recognize something was going on there. And what did Peter say? Did he say, like, I'm all in, Jesus, let's go, let's do it? No. He recognized, he recognized that I am a sinful person. I'm not worthy. And he's, he's right. He's not fully right, but he is right. He is a sinful person. We're all sinful people. And it, should he be in the presence of God? I don't know. Let's not be presumptuous, but it's not the full truth. But he recognizes his brokenness, and he doesn't feel worthy to be there. Like he could work his way in there, that he could get in good with Jesus by doing something, to do the right thing, to be a certain way, to live a certain lifestyle. But he didn't, he didn't, um, he, he didn't feel worthy. He needed to grow. But this was a beginning, and, a, and it's, where, it's in some sense where he starts from. And the, his basic understanding, his elementary understanding of who Jesus is and why Jesus is here. But as we go and look at his life, we can see it transformed and how it changes and how he moves past this image that you have to work your way, you have to be made worthy to be in um, Jesus' presence by something that you do. Lots of things happen in Peter's life. Again, I, I can't cover them all, but he does a variety of different things. This, this tendency to stick his foot in his mouth um, uh, allowed a, a number of opportunities. He said a variety of things. Sometimes it was embarrassing. One time, it, it, he was so bold in saying something that as Jesus, it was a wild story, but Jesus comes walking on the water as the disciples are in the boat going across. And um, it's kind of windy, and it says Jesus was going to just pass them by. It's kind of funny. If you can look at the passage there. But Jesus was going to pass him by, but Peter blurts out, um, Lord, if it's you, call me out to be with you, to walk on the water. So Peter just put it out there, right? But this amazingly gave him the opportunity. Peter got to walk on the water with Jesus. How amazing would that be? I don't, I don't know exactly how that works, um, but it must have been amazing. Um, he ends up sinking again, right? He doesn't get, he takes his eyes off Jesus. He's like, whoa, and he starts to sink and Jesus has to grab him and they get in the boat. Um, but this tendency, this verbosity uh, of Peter just speaking out um, created that situation. Peter said something amazing at one point. He said that Jesus was the Christ. He's asking, who do people say I am? And then Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And it was silent. And then Peter says what people are thinking but are afraid to say. And he says, you are the Christ. And Peter's like, ooh, yes. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, um, for um, it is not, uh, it's not flesh and blood that have revealed this to you, but it's your Father in heaven. Wow. 
But then Jesus starts teaching, immediately starts teaching that the, that the Messiah, that the Christ must die. And Peter's like, whoa, never, and not a sacrificial death. And boom, you know, Peter was up here, and then, but blurted it out, just <laughs> put it out there. And Jesus' response is, get behind me, Satan. Whoops, 180 right there, real quick fashion. Um, and Peter is working on him. He's a work in progress. He can see it. He's growing in it. He's trying to grasp it, but he misses some things along the way. So much so that he promises to be there for Jesus um, and pledges to be there for him right up to the time uh, right before the crucifixion. And what happens that night? Peter denies Jesus three times. He has the opportunity to say, yes, I am with Jesus, but he is afraid and he denies Jesus three times. And he has to, that eventually has to get dealt with and Jesus gives Peter three opportunities to um, restore the relationship and for Peter to say that he loves Jesus. Um, and um, Jesus gives Peter a new job. He's been a fisherman. I, I, I forgot to say that before. He's a fisherman. He's a fisherman with his brother. He's a fisherman with his father. They left their boats. They left their nets. And um, after Jesus died and was resurrected, he, um, there was a moment, there was a one time when Peter decided, let's go fishing. And they were kind of reverting back to the way that they had been. But Jesus shows up, and, um, and he, uh, he has that incident where he, um, the people don't, the guys don't catch anything in the boat. Again, there's another miraculous catch of fish, 153, they counted them, and um, Peter's acting kind of weird. Um, this is where that restoration of Peter happens, but Jesus gives Peter a new task, that he is to minister, that he is to care, that he is to have Jesus' priorities, to feed his lambs and to feed his sheep, and that is uh, symbolic of the followers of Christ, the flock. If Jesus is the good shepherd, um, Peter is to help care for the flock, and he is to do that. And so his life is to emulate Jesus and to look more like it, more and more, in all of these different ways. And again, Peter's a work in progress, and um, uh, he it, it leans into it more and more. And we are coming, we're coming to our passage here. This has all been set up, but I, I was, I'm telling you, I, you want, I want you to see the arc of his life, where he started out very incomplete and felt unworthy. Um, and he's getting more, a little bit more like Jesus, but he's struggling. Um, but he is, leans into it. He's profoundly impacted by the crucifixion and the resurrection. And Jesus gives him this new task this new thing to do, to feed the lambs, to feed the sheep. And he's doing it. And at first, that is primarily to um, people like him, the Jews, in that first century, especially around Jerusalem. But then there is this incident where he is led um, by the Holy Spirit to go and interact with, with Cornelius and his household. Cornelius um, is a Gentile completely, in fact, he's a Roman soldier, um, completely opposite of a, of a Jew in the first century there in, uh, in Israel. And this is something new and something different. And, and 
God is leading Peter into recognizing that, you know what, this gospel message that I am called to share and to care for, the flock is bigger than I realized. I was just caring for a little bit of the flock, but the flock of God is bigger. And, and the Holy Spirit gives Peter this vision that what God has said is clean is clean. It's a wild vision. We've talked about it before. Um, you can see it there in the book of Acts, Acts 10. I encourage you to take a look at it. But that's the short of it, that what God has made clean is clean. And the flock is bigger than Peter realizes. And this is a challenging thing for Peter, but he's leaning into it. When this vision comes, he's, he's at Simon the Tanner's house. Different Simon, okay? But it's this guy who worked with leather. And the fact that he's staying there is pretty amazing. Because if Peter was following the traditional way of his people, they would have nothing to do with people that deal with dead animals. Um, because leather tanners have to deal with dead animals. But that makes them ceremoniously unclean. And not only is Peter interacting with him, not only is he um, sharing meals at his table with him, uh, he's staying in the home of Simon the Tanner. Peter is, is, his horizons are being open. He's thinking in the way of Jesus, and he's open to these new things. This is hard for the church. The church is not all thinking as Jesus thinks. It's not all thinking... That, it's wanting to limit the flock of God. And this causes a fight. And Peter's going to be there. It's in this passage that we're about to go to. Um, but I want to give you the background. Okay? There are some people that want to say that, okay, yes, we are saved by Jesus. But there's other things we have to do. And they have some different things. Follow the law. Be circumcised. Any time you have Jesus and you got a problem. And Paul recognizes this and says, no, there's no Jesus and. It's Jesus and the grace, of, it's by faith in Jesus, it's by the, the grace that we have through Jesus. That is the only way. It's not law, it's not deeds, it's not trying to be a good person. There's no way we can get in God's good graces. But there's a fight about it. So the passage, I'm giving you the background on the passage so you know I'm dropping us in the middle of this debate. But that, those are kind of the sides. And I want you to pay attention to how Peter is moving and acting in this passage and what he's doing and how he's different than the way he was before and some of the, some of the spots along the way. Check this out. Let's see this. It's Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 19. Listen for God's word for us. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some, of, some other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders. 
to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he had accepted them by giving, them the, Holy Spirit, giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. When the whole assembly the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written after this I will return and re and rebuild David's fallen tent its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord who does these things things known from long ago it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This is God's word for us today. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be here, just as it moved in and among those elders, those those apostles, those disciples, those Christians there in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago as they were trying to understand your heart and your mind. We want to know your heart, know your mind, that we would come to know and love you more and more, that we would be transformed. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This event is called the First Jerusalem Council. Sadly, sadly, but it happened even in biblical times, conflicts happen in church. It happens because, you know what, because we have people. People make up the church. Yeah, you know, it's God's idea, his idea, like, let's make a church. But it's not, it's not bricks, it's not stone, it's not wood, it's people. People are the church. The thing is, we come together and we, we sometimes disagree as we're trying to understand what God is doing. And um, they were struggling with this, this question. Is it Jesus and the law? Jesus and circumcision? Jesus and you must follow the Sabbath day? Jesus and um, what? what? And if you have any and, if you have any and, there's a problem. 
And, um, and Peter recognizes this. And I don't know if you caught it, he, act diff- he acted differently. You know, he, that tendency to, to just blurt it out, you know, like I guess he didn't like silence, but I guess he got used to it a little bit more. He waited, there was lots of discussion, and then Peter spoke. Peter's different. Peter isn't just this, the way that he was before, he has been transformed. And when he does, and remember this, when we, that first passage, he says, I am a sinful person. He's not worthy. He's like, Jesus, go away from me. I'm not worthy. He was right, but it's only half the story. All of us are not worthy. And there's nothing we can do to get in God's good graces. It's by the graciousness, the grace that comes through Christ that we can that's where Peter was wrong. He was right to some extent, but he was wrong at the beginning. But now he recognizes it. He recognizes it. And it's been a journey. And Paul even at one point had to call him out um, on this because um, Peter was eating together with Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are just um, people that are non-Jews. It comes from the word peoples. Um, So other peoples, there's Jews and then other peoples, Um, the the Gentiles, they were sharing meals. Peter was a part of it. He pulled back. And Paul's like, hey, what's the deal? You can't accommodate these people that think Jesus and. You can't do that. It's at the heart of the gospel. And Peter recognizes that. And he understands that. And he testifies to it. And um, again, think what he had said before that he is a sinful man and you know basically Jesus should go away then he says this we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are wow he's not even put Jewish salvation before he's he's assuming Gentile salvation those that have a relationship with Jesus he's recognizing that and saying that Jewish salvation is just like that He's become transformed. He's caring for people. He, oh, those, that list that I gave us before, um, Peter's mind, his character, his relationships, his habits, his service, and his influence have been transformed to be more like Jesus. He's using his influence here. He's, he's, he's rocky. He's the rock. And, and people look to him and want to know what he has to say and think on these situations. And I think it's no mistake that God used Peter to speak to Cornelius and his household. If it had been someone else, it might have been easier to, demiss, to uh, dismiss, but it was Peter. And Peter, this leader, this carer of the flock, had to come to the realization that the flock wasn't this big, it was this big. Because of the grace of God. And his life was transformed. Even more so than Chuck Colson, a 180, a life transformed. And this is good news. That I think good news for all of us. And I hopefully you are encouraged as we are hearing these stories throughout this summer, as we're looking at the apostles. Some it's we only know so much. Peter, we know a lot, and I 
flew through it, and there's so much more. I encourage you to look at it, and I encourage you, we haven't had a chance to talk about Paul. Paul is a huge 180. I encourage you to take a look at the life of Paul. Just read the book of Acts. Good stuff. Um, Look at these transformed lives. Everyday people, broken people, sinful people, their lives are completely changed. They're completely transformed in all the dimensions that matter and that change. We're always works in progress. It's never fully realized in this life. We don't ever feel like we have achieved it in this life, but we want to be moving generally in the same direction that Jesus is. Sometimes we have mistakes. That's why we confess. We'll confess here in just a minute um, as we come to the table this table that reminds us of what Jesus did for us and how we have grace made possible. But I just want to encourage you and be inspired by these 12 disciples and more, these stories of transformed lives. Jesus wants to move and act in our lives. He calls us to be more like him, to care like him. And I don't know where we are. Maybe you have walked with Jesus your whole life or this is a new idea and you're kind of, I don't know. But Jesus can do it, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us. And he meets us along the way, and he meets us here at this table. We're invited to experience that, where we experience simple bread and simple juice. And it's, it, it is not about the nourishment we find in this bread and the juice. In fact, this is like, I think I haven't looked under yet. I haven't looked. Yeah, it's like the whitest bread you can see. All right. Nutrients, that's not it. What makes it amazing is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is nourishment for us. And might we be nourished and experience God in a real and tangible way. So let's come.